Jack has got a um, uh, he's got a CD player in his crappy Acer laptop that I <laughs> bought bought for a trip to China years ago. <laughs> that he plays Minecraft on. He's got a hand-me-down laptop. Yeah, you spent three thousand dollars on a bag of internet-connected water, and he's got a hand-me-down laptop. <laughs> Priorities, Mr. Langridge. Priorities. Welcome, everybody, to Bad Voltage. I hope you're all doing well, wherever you may be in the world. I'm here with my compadres, Jeremy. You didn't think again. I didn't you think You have again. one job. I always think about this as soon as I've hit record. <laughs> and then uh, St- Stuart Ian Language as well. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. After that conspicuous yes. pause at the beginning, I thought you were going to yawn or something to do a little foreshadowing for the show. Uh-huh. No, no, nothing. Jumped right into a, a very nothing. Sorry. Show. Yeah, yeah. No, this, this this went well. I feel I feel like this went well. Um, so welcome to the show. Uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of things today. We're going to be talking about the Eight Sleep, which is a uh, internet connected mattress, which I'm going to do a review of, which is going to be very well received without any mocking whatsoever. Correct. Right? And uh, and what else should we talk about? Uh, I want to talk about. Apple, and specifically the fact that they're being punished by regulators all over the world at the moment, although in rather small ways. And I'm interested in whether this is a harbinger for longer change. Ooh. Yeah. Speaking of longer change, um, um, I'm hoping Mr. Language is going to post a video on the internet sometime soon. <laughs> we'll keep this this one a particular mystery. Maybe not. <laughs> we'll, we, this a mystery. we'll see. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell... Let's do it. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. Making this review made me a little nervous. While I was writing it, all I could hear in my head was Langridge slowly filling a t-shirt gun with excrement and pointing it in my direction. Why? You may ask, well, because I'm reviewing an internet-connected mattress. So there I was one evening casually browsing Instagram, and I saw an ad for something called the Eight Sleep. The idea is simple. It's a mattress, or a cover for your existing mattress, that can change temperature to help you sleep better. Not only that, but it's got a bunch of sensors in it that can also report on your sleep quality. I'll get into that a little bit later on. Now, while it may be easy to mock the concept of the 8 sleep, I do think it makes sense. It is well known that the temperature of your bedroom and your bed has a huge impact on the quality of your sleep. Generally, a cooler room lends to better sleep. But everyone's definition of cool is different. For example, I don't think MC Hammer's trousers were cool at all. More specifically, my wife Erica tends to prefer our bedroom a little warmer. I like it like a fucking freezer. So this created a bit of a dilemma. And this is where the eight sleep comes in. It enables you to have two entirely different zones so each person can have their own temperature settings on the bed itself. But this is only the start of it. You see, the eight sleep will change the temperature based on where you are in your sleep cycle. So, for example, I like my bed fairly cool for me to go to sleep. But then when I get into deep sleep, it gets a little bit cooler. Then when I enter REM sleep, it gets a hint warmer. And when I'm ready to wake up at my usual time, it gets even warmer. 
The eight sleep is something called autopilot that claims to detect these different sleep phases and it can make these changes for you. Or, as you might imagine, you can manually set them too. The eight sleep also has a variety of sensors built into it that can detect a raft of different things about your sleep. This includes time slept, wake up consistency, how long it takes you to fall asleep, how many times you get out of the bed to pee, your overall bedtime, your wake up times, different sleep stages, how much you tossed and turned, sleeping heart rate, and average respiratory rate. This all culminates in something called your sleep score, and it gives you an overall sense of the quality of your sleep that you can track day to day, week to week, and month to month. Now, from my limited testing, the data on the eight sleep is okay but certainly not perfect i wear my apple watch to bed and that definitely seems to be a much more accurate representation than the eight sleep itself and for good reason things like heart rate on the eight sleep are having to deal with your mattress cover and any clothing that you wear which i assume limits its accuracy and sorry everyone yes I do sleep with clothes on, but I still look like an Italian statue depicting a resting athletic Adonis carved out of marble. In use, the 8 sleep is actually pretty decent. Setting it up was very straightforward. We ended up getting the mattress cover as we quite like our own mattress. We put it on the bed and connected the main hub to it. Now, this hub looks a little bit like one of those old desktop tower computers, and it circulates water into the mattress cover to change the temperature. It's a bit big, but it's very quiet and you can barely hear it working. The app is simple, it's well designed, it's rich in data, and it's very easy to control the eight sleep settings. So, has it actually helped my sleep? Well, it's kind of difficult to tell as many factors will impact the quality of your sleep, but overall, I think it has. As a general rule, my sleep score has been getting better, and I've definitely found it easier to fall asleep with a cooler temperature. I've also been notified that my resting heart rate has been dropping, and this appears to have been within the period of owning the 8 sleep itself, so I presume that had an impact. Now, the 8 sleep is not cheap. The Pod Pro cover, which is the mattress cover that we got, is 1750 bucks, and the 8 sleep mattress with it all built in is just shy of $3,000. But the reason why we got it was because they have a 30-day trial where you can get a full refund if you don't like it. We were honestly expecting to send it back. We were a bit concerned it was going to be a bit of a gimmick. But overall, we feel it's generally helped and has been worth it, so we're keeping it. So, would I recommend it? Well, if you care about getting solid sleep, and especially if you and your boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, dog, cat, or donkey are arguing about the temperature of your room, then yes, it's a good investment. But if you're generally sleeping pretty well already and wake up feeling pretty rested, then I'd invest your hard-earned readies elsewhere. I would like it noted, by the way, that I read that with no mistakes, which is a first... (laughs) <laughs> it's a, in it's, the history it of it's a first to the point where i'm honestly skeptical that this is you i think maybe you might have practiced beforehand or something i or may this have is where we get the sorry chaps i, I wasn't actually recording <laughs> <laughs> i check unfortunately i am in fact but under recording. the sleep uh, perhaps that went so smoothly because you got a full eight hours of sleep on a very cool restful mattress exactly exactly uh, <laughs> your <laughs> preferences for sleep temperatures are very very hyper specific oh well no no no. i mean i found it fascinating to discover that erica likes it a bit hot in the bedroom and jono can't provide so this is useful information (laughs) i was i rewrote that bit about the temperature of our bedroom like five times to try and avoid a joke like that (laughs) Uh, that was that was never happening dude i'm afraid sorry there it is 
So in the end, you think the eight sleep is actually pretty decent, and it may or may not have impacted your resting heart rate. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, these things are difficult to tell. But like when I looked at my resting heart rate history, since we got the eight sleep, it, it's noticeably lower. But that might be due to something else. Like maybe I've been eating better food or whatever. I mean, that's my point is like, it's difficult to really tell because, you know, from if you Especially drink too over much such coffee, a small sample period as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And, and to be clear, in terms of my temperature preferences, I just kind of let it do its own thing like it adjusts it and those different sleep cycles um there was a few times when i played around with it like there was one night where i thought i'm gonna make it much colder and i was freezing my bollocks <laughs> off and i woke up in the middle of the night and I had to change it so and do it you have takes, to refill you know, this thing with water like does your bed now have a maintenance program associated with it uh yes you do have to re- <laughs> apparently you only have to apparently sorry, you only sorry, have to re- <laughs> apparently you only have to refill it like every couple of months um and it will it will bing and it's it's not it's not a lot it's like um it's a it's almost the size of a big coffee mug full of water so it's that, that's, um, that sounds like a valuable use of your time and it's I mean, loud or not loud it's not loud I, you, can, you can yeah, it's, you can barely I, hear it. he actually said it barely makes any noise at all it makes almost well, as much no noise as my bed without this thing on whatsoever <laughs> So, so when you say it's not very loud and barely noticeable, what, what? How loud is it? Is this thing grinding away at night? Or? <laughs> I, I feel like this is massively subjective. Right? It's like they're going, no, 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 it's fine. It's yes. not a problem. And it's going <laughs> the whole evening. <laughs> Bit of a note. It is. Right? It is. It is very quiet. Right. So when we um when we first got it, we had air purifiers on in our bedroom because of the California wildfires, and I turned that off because they're obviously quite loud. Um and. It sounds kind of like a like a laptop fan that's idle. Like if you put your ear to it, you can really hear it. But it's that quiet, right? You would you wouldn't notice it. Um, and I was less worried about this because um, you know white noise is good for going to sleep anyway. If there was any you know kind of background noise, but there isn't. So I was I was not too worried about it before we ordered it. But it's it's super quiet. And even when there's water pumping, you know when it's pumping what it does is it keeps water in your in your in your mattress and then it circulates it with the hot and cold water and even when it's doing that it um it's it's incredibly quiet so not a problem so we have a product idea for eight sleep you can make a slightly cheaper to manufacture louder one but call it the super pro and have it be the regular (laughs) pro with a white noise machine Uh, i'll call it seven (laughs) sleep or something As far as I can tell, the reason your heart rate has gone down is because you've satisfied your urge to buy another stupid internet thing for two months <laughs> or whatever, right? This goes all the way back to the robot not- dog 15 years ago. Holy fucking... I love that that has to come up once every, like, 18 months or so. It's, it still annoys me. <laughs> a decade and a half off. <laughs> Right. For fuck's sake! I was like, tw- I was like, I was like twenty three. Yeah, <laughs> and the point is, nothing has changed. I dangle some fair. ridiculous thing that connects the internet in front of you, and you grab at it with both hands. It didn't occur to you to just buy an electric blanket and a two thousand and nine Toyota Corolla for the same money. Right? <laughs> you see, the electric blanket you can't cool. 
Right, but what you do is you make the room cool and then give Erica the electric blanket and then spend the extra $2,800 on something So this is for $1,700 just to make sure. So a little insight into the recording today. Originally, Mr. Bacon was going to do a review and then told us we weren't going to do a review. So no one actually looked at this thing. And then today, an hour before we recorded, he was like, oh, yeah, no, actually wrote the review. So I have more questions than I normally would because I, I typically would have looked more of this up. Uh, it's legitimately just a blanket-esque looking thing that wraps over your existing mattress. That's what two thousand dollars. Yeah, it's an it's an internet connected water balloon with uh, a, a, um, with an elastic band on the bottom of it that goes around your mattress, and then they charge you seventeen hundred dollars for it. Is there a subscription fee in addition to this? No, they do. They're not doing the Peloton model. No. The extra important thing about this is, at some point in the next three years, being generous, they're going to get bored with this product and turn the servers off, and then it won't work. So I don't. So I don't. I genuinely don't know. Well, in terms of whether, like, if they were to switch things off, like whether you could just whether whether you correct connect directly to it and that's it. I can't honestly remember whether I had to sign up with an account to kind of log in or anything like that. Um, in terms of what it is, you get so like I said, I you can buy the mattress and everything's built into the mattress. But we've already got a nice mattress, so you get this thing. It's it's called the Pod Pro cover. It goes over your mattress. But what happens is they they also have this other thing that kind of wraps around it. So and you kind of zip the mattress on the top. So basically, it it, it doesn't move around. So it's real. It, it it's really well designed. Everything about the the product is is well designed. The the main kind of hub thing. It's really sleek. It doesn't feel plastic or anything like that. Um, and, it, and it connects really nicely to bed. It's not like flopping around or anything like that. Um, so, you know, and look, language, you've met my wife, Jeremy. You've met my wife. Do you think that she would be open to the idea of spending more money on AC and having an electric blanket on her at night? Do you foresee I, I am, this? I am Unless suspicious it- of this idea. This is not just not going to work, okay? So uh, this kind of, you know... So does it impact how how the bed actually is? Like, is it firmer or softer? Does it have a pillow top or whatever? Or is it just... It's a straight cover and that's it. it, it it's, it's, it's got like a slight pillowy feel to it. It's quite comfortable because it's like a grid network, right? So it's... Um, you can kind of see a little bit where the where the um, where the pipes are inside. They, they, they of it, call right? it the active grid, and it has gentle rise wake up technology. And gentle rise has been trademarked. <laughs> gentle rise. That'll be the that'll be the vibration thing. Yeah, you can set it so it vibrates and it wakes you up in the morning. This sounds which, very much like the sort of thing that any bell end who points out that they wear their Apple Watch to bed would spend seventeen hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But, T-shirt uh, gun is continuing to be <laughs> reloaded with excrement. Man, I can say. seriously. Just, uh, I mean, whatever. I've just given up trying to fight back did, against this at this point. Did you get the optional carbon airflow pillow? No. Well, a question for you, because now we are um, talking about mattresses on a podcast, which means we're just like every other podcast on Earth. We'll do the Audible <laughs> sponsorship next. But as far as I can tell, as you said, the mattress is three thousand dollars and the um and the mattress cover is seventeen hundred and fifty and they describe the mattress cover as tech and the mattress all in as mattress plus tech but i don't know whether the mattress they sell you is anything cool or whether 
they're just charging you $1,250 for a mattress, which to me seems like a lot of money for a mattress. Not if really. If they just bought a mattress no, off of really Casper's, is it not? People spend, people will spend five or ten grand Ma- on a mattress. Yeah. Okay, those people are obviously lunatics. My mattress is really good. I spent a bunch of money on it. And it didn't cost no $5,000, I'll tell you that. Well, that's because it doesn't do a daily health check. I could buy... <laughs> I could buy that on a 2012 Toyota Corolla for that much money. I mean, put it this way: if your mattress isn't weighing isn't isn't weighing your testicles three times a night, then it's not an actual mattress, as far as I'm concerned. I want mean, to I want to come back to that because you made the point that yeah, it does all this stuff where it measures things about you, but your watch does it loads better because obviously a thing that straps on top of your mattress is not best done to measure these things. Yeah, I mean, some of the measurements I think are fine. Like, like it. It seems pretty accurate in terms of knowing when I fell asleep and when I wake up. Obviously, when I wake up. But like, so it can differentiate between, you know, what I find fascinating is that like many people, Eric and I, before we go to bed, we tend to watch a TV show and then we turn the lights off and go to sleep, right? So it can tell the difference between us laying in bed and watching TV and being asleep, which I think is quite clever. And and the timing is pretty accurate um, because I read a Kindle just before I go to sleep and I'm generally looking at the time. So I can generally within 10, 20 minutes get a sense of when I fell asleep. Anyway, yeah, it's um, I think it's I think it's I think it's worth it. I'm 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 pretty happy with with the eight sleep. Are you at all concerned that their website already has a legacy product section to the FAQ? Yeah, uh, <laughs> haven't seen that, but this disappoints me in general. You know, we've already talked about this. Like, it's like the fucking Peloton. You know, I I think takes yeah. now fifteen minutes to boot up, and it's like you didn't need to upgrade the Android tablet on your Peloton. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. honestly, part of the reason I I did the roll my eyes head shake about this is not because I think the thing itself is bad. I mean, fine, I wouldn't buy it because I'm not a complete magpie for stupid gadgets like you are. But whatever, I've come to terms with this. It's that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, I think they've gone, oh, let's bang a bunch of health monitoring stuff in there and wire it up to the internet. When it could have just been a thing which sits on your bed, monitors you and calls you through the night, and never mentioned the word internet, and it would have been a good product. As it is, I am now extremely skeptical that when they get bored with this thing and turn the servers off, that it will still work, because I think your app won't be able to control it anymore. I might be wrong, and I'd love to hear if I'm wrong, but that to me is what annoyed me about it is that it seems like a perfectly good product that has been pointlessly internetified, you know? But I, I don't think the the internet connected thing is not in any way, shape or form a primary element of this. Like what they're selling no, is, I agree with you. is a thing that cools you, warms you up and you can control it with your phone. I don't know whether you need to be logged into their service to do that and whether it's doing this re- remotely. I'd love to believe I was wrong. I'll be very happy if it turns out that this thing does work locally um, and so it doesn't it doesn't crater the thing when they pivot to making internet connected shoes or well, something. Yeah, the fact them. that it syncs with other tracking devices, as they say, and keeps all this other information like wake up consistency and time to leave bed, tosses and turns, it, it definitely connects. I'm sure to a service to do that. And and then oh, this yeah. and then this ties into a bunch of other stuff around if they're collecting all that stuff about you and how you sleep, and it's going through their servers. They need to have a deletion policy. No, they, and they have a very secure data warehouse. It's it's, it's yeah, one of their yeah, fake yeah. items. And, 
I, I mean, and I know we a mattress company about this. has a very secure data warehouse. I was just like, yeah, this is not the world I grew up in. But right? My favorite <laughs> part of this, in the few minutes I was able to do research, this mattress company, which to be clear sells mattresses, is on their Series C. Oh, they just raised a ton, raised a ton of money, didn't they? Like seventy and million. They have raised a hundred and fifty yeah. million dollars in total yeah. at a five hundred million post valuation. I think I'll stick with my electric blanket because it keeps me warm when I'm cold. The rest of it's fine otherwise, and I haven't given some 25-year-old a $400 million exit. (laughs) (laughs) But you're happy with it, so, you know, more power to your elbow, I suppose, man. It's it's one of those things whereby, look, if we didn't have it, you know, ah, not going to lose sleep over it, right? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> <But> yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. Try the veal. Jeez, if you didn't lose um, sleep over it, was it really worth the 2K? <laughs> right. But, um, you know, there is, I think, a reasonable argument to be made that, you know, we spend a lot of time sleeping and um, I would imagine that most of us don't get very good sleep. Um, so spending a bit of time, you know, if you can spend even two grand or whatever on something that will if it if it improves my sleep quality by 20 percent and i'm better rested and recovering then i think it's worth it but it's not it's not critical yeah yeah but if it actually helps i think that's not a bad thing i mean not so much the thing where it tells you the quality of your sleep because when i wake up in the morning and go i didn't sleep very well i don't need you know two thousand dollars worth of technology to tell me this but if it actually helps with the problem then yeah rock and roll man yeah so there we have it eight sleep consider it and then eventually when the nine sleep comes out (laughs) i'll be quite annoyed and i'm sure we will revisit this on this podcast talked a certain amount about apple on this show partially because you know one of the biggest firms in the world partially because they uh define or work with a lot of the technology that we do and partially because jono buys all of their stuff now but (laughs) one of the thing which has come up over the last 12 months or so is that regulators around the world appear to have decided that now is the time to slap apple on the wrists a bit and I think it's interesting to talk about what's happened, why it's happened, what's going on with this. So only in the last few months, there have been a whole bunch of court cases going on, various things. So there's the Epic versus Apple case, and there are antitrust style investigations going on globally in all sorts of different places. Um, and we're starting to see those things come to some sort of conclusion and in pretty much every case, Apple has lost a little tiny amount and have taken not really a step, about a 19th of a step back, <laughs> a, right. a, a micro step in the direction of consumer fairness, you might call it. So, um, so to give you an example, um, uh, historically, they've been very firm about the idea that you, if you take payments in an iOS app, you have to do it through Apple. You can't even tell other people. You can't even tell your users there are other ways of doing the payments. And yep. they've now relaxed that one micron by if you, if you are what they call a reader application, then you can now include an in-app link to the website so users can set up and manage an account, which you couldn't do before. And that comes as a result of a uh, an investigation by the Japan Fair Trade Commission, who are the regulator 
in Japan. And that's going to happen in early 2022. Similarly, there's a class action lawsuit. Uh, there was a class action lawsuit going on in the US. And as part of the settlement of that, it's now been agreed that iOS developers are allowed to contact their customers using information collected inside the app to tell them about payment operate, tell them about payment options outside the app store so before when you were emailing your customers nothing to do with apple at all that just happened to be customers on your ios app you had to steer them to the app to make payments you couldn't tell them you know not even on your phone on your desktop computer go and start, go and buy a subscription something like that and every one of these is a small chip away into this kind of edifice apple are built of we get to keep all the money and you get to keep none of the money and right i i think it's interesting uh, i have uh, some personal experience with this whole story but i think it's interesting i'd like to hear your thoughts on what you think's different now it it feels to me like the seesaw is tipping a bit and some of that is down to developer reluctance to put up with this shtick some of it seems to be a kind of feeling that what apple are doing amounts to overreach more than it did before or seems less justified than it did before but i only have a very nebulous sense of why i think that is so i'm interested Mm. in your thoughts on it and then i will talk a little bit about the situation in the uk so one of the things i think that is interesting here is it really does seem like a sea change in that on the developer side it seems like people have reached a breaking point. And it's not just the folks from Hey or Epic. It's a yeah. bunch of different developers, some whom are game developers, some whom are not game developers. And I'm of the opinion here that games really should be treated differently, but we can get to that in a second. Uh, a, a whole bunch of developers have reached a breaking point. But also, I think there is a large appetite uh, always in, in the UK and the EU to regulate, but in, increasingly in the US, uh, an appetite to regulate tech companies who are seemed as like a naive San Francisco-based group of companies that are now more powerful than governments, and I think that makes other government, actual governments a little bit weary and nervous. So the fact that both are happening at the same time means that the, the companies like Epic can appeal not only to courts but to regulators in a way that I don't think was possible, let's say, 10 years ago. They, they just would have been ignored. So I think that's part of why you're seeing actual change here is there's a confluence of two related things happening at once that allows for, for that change, which will be interesting to watch. I am typically skeptical of uh, regulators trying to regulate tech well because when they do, you, you get things like this USB-C thing uh, that's going on yeah. in the EU where it's like they're picking a specific connector. And I guarantee you the people that are picking the connector know nothing about USB-C or semantics or why USB-C is weird and terrible and very opaque ways. Um, so I- I'm-, I'm skeptical of the regulation in a lot of ways, while admitting that some regulation is, is definitely, definitely necessary. I think, um, and I'll talk more about this in a bit, but I think I'm okay with regulators telling people what not to do. I am less okay with regulators telling people to do a thing, to mandate something, because then you end up with everyone having to use SOAP XML to send emails or something, right? Which no one wants, because um, but almost by definition, although we'll get to this, regulators tend to be a bit behind the times and not 
at the cutting edge of technology. So they end up mandating something which a pressure group can explain to them better than actual technologists can, or something which was popular when they started this study five years ago, or whatever. But saying you're not allowed to do that, how you solve this problem is up to you, technologists, but you can't solve it the way you're currently solving it, I think is more reasonable. Well, and the big question here is, I think we'd all agree that regulators saying well first of all i think we'd all agree that regulators saying that you have to do something like the USB-C thing is stupid um i i, and then when- I, I don't think it's stupid when um uh when the eu mandated uh a previous us standardized connector it did a pretty good job because i mean you remember the days when Every uh, tech company, one of the little tchotchkes they gave you at conferences was one of those little keyrings with about 16 different mobile phone connectors on it. <laughs> right? Yep. When did you last see one of those? The answer is hardly ever because everyone standardized on micro USB, but they weren't going to bother until someone made them. Right? I am not at all a believer that the market sorts this out. Well, the, the market but, moved to USB-C except for very specific Apple, Apple products with absolutely right. no regulation because it made sense. I am not right. necessarily sure about the USB-C thing because there seems to be less of a need for it now. I mean, at the moment, you've got micro USB, USB-C, and Lightning. And that's it, as far as I'm aware. No one uses And Lightning is not connectors. long for this world, pretty well, clearly. Right. The thing which disappoints me is that USB-C doesn't mean anything. No. Like, you could have the wrong USB-C cable and things won't work. Yeah. And yeah. Then I, yeah. I mean, and... At first, I thought, oh, this USB-C thing is great, so I can just plug in any random device I like, but also I can charge things at 900 volts or whatever. That seems great. And then I found out they're all different, and not only are they all different, but the cables might not support it. And I can't tell how you're meant to know that other than by cutting open a cable and measuring it. with Yeah, and that's just moronic USB commission or whatever you're called who makes this stuff up. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I think mandating that is wrong, but the previous thing was okay, I thought. It did a good job of saying, phone manufacturers, stop just inventing stupid cables because it's really irritating. See, I don't know. I, 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 the, the idea of mandating things, I find, I think I, it's, it doesn't sit well with me um, because like you said, nine times out of ten, these regulators, they're way behind the times. And who the fuck are they to tell us, tell people what they should be doing? The market should decide in that regard. If people should be not buying phones because they can Like, do you remember years ago, years ago, before USB, when you'd have, like, weird Nokia chargers and all these yeah. kinds of different things? And then the minute USB started settling in, the market decided, like, that, hey, we want that. I absolutely did not. That's the that's exactly my point. The market absolutely did not decide that. It did with USB-C. No, I'm not. My point is, is that consumers... Sure, there were lots of different connectors. My point is that consumers started demanding USB sockets and phones. Right? And, and companies um, went, oh, we don't care about your opinion, and you still have to buy phones from us, so it doesn't matter. That, I, that, no, that, that's, 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 that's bullshit. The companies didn't say that because companies switched to USB. They did Now, didn't, admittedly, though. they switched to nano USB, micro USB, <laughs> USB, USB-C. Right. There's a million different USB types. It's in no ways universal. <laughs> okay. But that's exactly, but my- that's exactly the point I'm trying to get across here, that we got one standard connector for everything apart from iPhones. And Apple put a, 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 a dongle. A there is no standard connector the for everything. There is not a standard connector for everything anymore. 
You guys live in this in this in this fantasy world that USB C is consistent. No, I buy no, no, so many devices. No, 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 shut up. There isn't now. I agree with you. There was four years ago. It was micro USB for everything. Then they invented USB C, and now yeah, it's all over the shop again. I agree with you. Well, it wasn't USB. It wasn't micro USB for everything because of Apple products. But anyway, reeling it. Speaking yeah. of Apple, reeling it back in. So yes, I, right. I, the two the two things you mentioned were the the JFTC's anti steering and yeah. uh, Epic brutally lost their their lawsuit but one thing that came out of that was the uh contacting contact obtained voluntarily from customers through account registration can can now be contacted so let's first say apple having a rule that you could not contact your own customers for whom you had their contact information is astounding on a level that is uh, almost not conceivable like that that ever was a thing is is unbelievable (laughs) going to the steering thing that's putting aside the actual rule for a second. The one thing Apple keeps claiming is that they're customer focused and they want the greatest customer experience. The fact that Netflix had an app that you could do nothing but log into if you downloaded it because they couldn't tell you, hey, if you don't have an account, here's how you sign up for an account is the worst conceivable customer like experience that I can imagine. And it's only like that on Apple products. Like Apple products from their web browser to their implementation of things like this, it's the worst customer experience I can imagine. I don't know how they're so popular. But, but- hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, before you go on. Just do the Netflix thing again. I didn't understand. So what could what? So because you have to use in-app purchases for all of everything on Apple platforms, Netflix does not allow you to sign up through app through the in-app purchase. And because right. they're not allowed to tell you that you can pay for a thing on Earth that isn't in the Apple ecosystem, there if you download Netflix on an Apple device, when you open it up, it's just a login. It doesn't tell you that you can create an account or how to create an account. It's just username, right. password. I see. Because yeah, they're I, not I allowed to saying. tell you that it's a paid-for service, which is right. mind-blowing. So, yeah. so the experience, if you've got an account, the experience of the Netflix app is totally fine. But if you don't have an account and you're like, oh, I Correct. installed Netflix, I'd like to register an account on my phone. Which is fine for a company like Netflix, I guess, because almost everyone has probably heard of Netflix, even if you're not a customer. If you're a new service... Just having a login almost kills the service because people don't know how to sign up. They have to guess yeah, your website. Yeah, I agree like with it's you. It's just a, no, a very bad totally customer agree. experience that is, is just also kills innovation in a lot of ways. Putting aside yeah. the yeah. fact that th- taking 30% also kills innovation in a lot of ways because there's a lot of business models that just are not possible with 30% coming off the top. Which was exactly Epic's point. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. But, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I think um, as far as I can tell, the what I think is the broader issue is that it just all starts to seem more like overreach to basically everybody, whether you are a regulator or a developer or a user. Um, it all seems a bit kind of, huh, really? You describe Apple's policies to people and whether those people are attempting to make an app which is compliant with those policies or fund an app which is compliant with those policies or use an app which is compliant with those policies, everyone goes, what really? But that's really annoying <laughs> because yeah, I think yep. to Jeremy's point, Apple like we've got the best customer experience with us, with our customers. If you're someone else's customer, not a problem, right? So what? What? So what they're doing is they're shifting the customer relationship to at least partially be with Apple. If you are not prepared to have your relationship with your customers mediated by Apple, you don't get to have good customer experience, as long as there's money involved. 
So uh, all of the points you've made about not being able to sign up and buy an account on the devices, totally agree. Completely agree with everything you're saying. It For me, it's just like putting aside the business logistics of it. It just seems selfish to me that Apple uh, do this. Yes. It's, it's, they feel like they're entitled to 30% of everything that happens on their platform without acknowledging that without these apps, they would not have a platform. Right. Um, so I, I, and I think that's a fair criticism. Although I would say that to be fair to Apple, presuming as it as it works today presuming that you've already got accounts with these services like i've got an iphone and i use many many different services on that iphone right amazon app um, netflix all these different things the experience of those apps the reliability of the device the simplicity of it is phenomenal right question question for you on on that basis how many things is uh that you end up signing up for and paying for how many of them is your first experience with them on your iphone um well define first because there's there's been there's been things for example where what i'm trying to get a sense of is if you're happy to use a thing on your iphone but in general if you need to sign up for it or when you first discover you're doing that on a laptop or desktop computer then yeah your phone is acting as a sort of subsidiary device in that regard right but for an awful lot of people their smartphone is their primary or possibly their only computing device or their iphone and their tablet are at which point you're probably not affected because if you think I need to sign up for a thing, you'll just go and do it on your laptop. If you haven't got a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, point, like, when I you agree. Say I, there are loads of, I don't think there are many things that I sign up for where I do it on my phone. I sign up for it on my computer. I sign into it on my phone. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you're the same. Oh, I'm totally the same. Well, part of the reason is because I can't do that on my phone because oh, it's well, fucking Apple yeah, iPhone. Yeah, yeah, this is the thing. <laughs> but like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Recently, I um, signed up for a service called Song Stats and it analytics for how music is doing, using it for the band, right? So rent and register. Oh, right, and, I thought I just uh, said your thing like Beyonce sold more records today. Like, why, why are you paying money for this? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and um, Casey Kasem comes around your house and explains it to you. <laughs> It's a great little company. It's a useful service. It's relatively cheap. And um, they have an app. So I went and signed up for it in my browser and then saw that they had an iPhone app. And the iPhone app is a huge deal because, you know, to your point, like I'm signing into it. So I, I, I spend most of my time actually looking at the iPhone app because it's, yeah. just, you know, go for a ping, look at it, look at the stats while I'm peeing, whatever. Um, um, but it doesn't get away from the point that your criticism of not being able to sign up. I mean, that's just ridiculous. But my point is, is that um, I think the overall, I think the reason why, clearly the reason why iPhones are still so popular is because it's beautiful hardware and it's a beautiful software experience. Um, so people are willing to, frankly, suck it up and get on with it, sadly. Um, uh, and it's, But that's the thing, like the thing that blows me away is that like you said about the 30% cut thing, like Jeremy said, you know, it's, there are some businesses where that just, you just can't stay in business when you do that. And I, Im- I imagine that the margins on, um, apps are stupidly thin when you start applying like all the advertising and marketing that you got to do around apps. I imagine there's not a lot of money in building apps. So therefore that 30% is a big deal, right? Uh, and I, and I think. 
I, I mean, fine. Uh, you Yes, the fact that you have to tie 30% of the money is a big thing in itself. But where it steps into, I think, feeling like overreach is that if you don't mm. want to do that, you're not even allowed to tell people that there's an alternative. Right, that I think people go. What? What do you mean you're not allowed? That's ridiculous, <laughs> right? And this is where we get back to you know, Jono, you've mentioned the market a bunch of times. So you want the market to play this out, and suddenly it doesn't work like that because you're not allowed to tell people about alternatives. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. and yep. that th- that I think is interesting. But the, pro- the I think part of the problem here is that, and and kind of the market has decided, right? If you think about it, because consumers have basically decided this isn't that big of a deal to me to not use an iPhone. Like there are certain situations where people, where, where, where consumers will decide like, okay, there is a bridge to, I think most consumers in, in, in the world in general will put up with a reasonable amount of shit. If the product that they've purchased offers them enough value, but then at some point, at some point, the, the consumer like, breaks the camel's back. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. And I think they've just this isn't that big of a deal for consumers. This is much more of a deal for the companies <laughs> than it is for the consumers because you know you're adding so much more friction if you can't tell anyone how to register. So someone's got to figure out themselves to go to your website, go and do it, sign up, and then annoyingly type the fucking password into your iPhone if you're not using something like LastPass. It's a giant pain in the butt. Yeah. And, so. and what that does is it materially favors people who are already famous enough that people know to go and sign in on their website. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Which, exactly. which entrenches people who are already doing well, which is literally the opposite of the way competition is meant to work. So. Yes. Yeah. I agree. That, uh, I agree. That, that is interesting. And I think, um, so if you look at, um, a couple of other places to mention, um, around the globe that have, um, slapped apple a bit so south korea have banned this whole idea that all money has to go through apple's in app payments and apple have gone okay we're not gonna make people do that in south korea only we're not changing the policy everywhere and i think we're gonna see a series of tiny retreats on specific points at least at first so russia basically just went you're being a dominant market player a monopolistic market player stopped doing it but without anything specific i don't think um i'm um, they, they don't unless I, unless i've misunderstood this <laughs> they haven't really uh so uh russian um whatever it's called the equivalent of the regulator there didn't actually mandate that apple do or stop doing anything in particular they just went stop acting like a monopoly I don't know whether Apple go okay and change things or whether they just don't do anything and go, we promise we won't in the future. <laughs> I don't really understand. I read the um, stuff at TASS, so with the Russian news agency about this. And I don't really yeah. get the outcome of it. So, well, in know, Russia, they pulled I, the voting is... app, right? They I, did. They just I completely did... pulled the app. Yeah, but I thought that was, I didn't think that was about monopoly stuff, was it? No, it's not. Um, it's about yeah. local regulation, following or not following local regulators, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I suppose, yeah. No, okay, yes, no, fair play. So this is a general comment. Um, so I obviously have no idea about what Apple think of this, but I'm applying this comment based upon my own experience of working with various big companies uh, and knowing people who work at big companies, is that these companies 
as we all know, they're all wanting to expand out their markets in different ways, right? And I think there is, I think for most of these companies, there is a, most of them, not all of them, there is a core ethical line that they're not willing to cross. However, they will do everything that they can to satisfy regulators and governments if they can open up in those markets. And I would say that's especially the case in place like chi- places like China, where... I think it very much depends know, on the region. But China is the shining right. example of being able to... The shining be, example being of this, willing yeah. to willingly put up with almost anything. This is, this is like, absolutely I think, I think, why the stuff we talked about um, a couple of shows ago, where um, Apple stuff is running on Chinese servers, which the Chinese government have access to, which they don't do in other territories because the Chinese government went, you do that or right. you don't get to sell here. And they went, okay, then and caved. But I'm I'm guessing with China specifically with Apple that they've they've probably got a very very specific solution set up where I bet you anything that the Chinese government said we need access to all of your information right like any any customer information we want full access to it and I'm assuming there was some negotiation between Apple and the Chinese government and Apple probably said we will host our services over there there'll be a subset of the information that you get access to we're not giving you access to everything because the Chinese government are going to want Apple doing business over there as well it's it's a it's it's not a one-way street so I think companies like Apple would probably say we're not willing to give you everything of course not but we're willing to adapt to that environment because they want to do they want to do business and the tricky thing is we will never ever get any insight into that on the outside right like it's easy to suggest that apple will do whatever the fuck it it increasingly looks like a one-way street i would say uh well yeah i mean um i agree with that um since we were talking about russia there is an awful lot of what used to politically be called kremlinology where you attempt to deduce right. the the thought processes that lead to a decision by only observing it from the outside and it's difficult yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, and it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because again, like it's 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 easy to um it's easy to assume that these big companies that they're all they're interested in is sales. And I I I think that's naive. But there's no doubt that they will they will twist and contort every possible thing they can to do business in these areas. So and I don't think Apple's probably any different. So Yeah. Uh, I feel like you don't get to be the um, one of the first trillion dollar companies on earth by going mostly what we care about is the ethics and then sales are a sort of epi phenomenon that we that's do. That's not when what we I'm saying. I'm not, no, I understand. I'm not, I understand I'm, that's not what you're saying. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's mostly, but I'm saying that I don't think they've got no ethics. No, I, I no, I'd agree with that. Um, but their ethics is probably different to our ethics. Yeah, so. by some distance. Um, so, so uh, should I talk about the UK a bit? Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, are we going to get to what was going to originally be the lead of this thing? (laughs) Well, um, the Competition and Markets Authority, who are the regulator here in the UK, have launched an investigation into mobile ecosystems generally. Uh, So they're looking at both Apple and Google um, to get a sense, basically investigating the whole idea of, are these things monopolies? Is it unreasonable the way that you launch apps on these problems, the way uh, launch apps on these platforms? Are there problems with how these things work? So on and so forth. A subset of that is looking at browsers on platforms and fairly specifically browsers on iOS. One of the things that a lot of people outside my industry don't know is that there's only one web browser on iOS, Safari. Every other browser is just Safari in something else's skin. 
a bit like Silence of the Lambs, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that got dark quickly. Well, didn't well, it? you know. Um, so, so I thought yeah. it was there's only one rendering engine on iOS, yes. which is WebKit. It's not Safari. Yeah. Yes, that is yes, that is correct. I'm uh, okay. explaining slightly to a lay audience. Yes, so there is one rendering engine which is WebKit, um, and Safari's version of WebKit. You are not allowed to ship your own rendering engine. So you can ship other things that are ancillary parts of the browser, but the point is that you can't change how it renders web pages at all. You cannot add new features ahead of Safari doing them. You cannot implement features that Safari have decided they don't want to implement. You can't even implement features which are in WebKit, but Safari hasn't yet packaged that thing up. Right? You can't, um, you can't add access things. And the UK Competition and Markets Authority are looking into this notion of browser choice on iOS to see how that feeds into their larger study and whether it's a problem, whether something should be done about it. And as part of that, I got invited to go and talk to them about it, which was fun. Ah. Yeah. What happened? Um, well, originally we were, um, so, uh, there was, um, three of us, uh, were invited, uh, there, there a whole bunch of people, obviously talking to a shed load of people, but three, yep. three of the people they invited, um, uh, invited experts were me, Bruce Lawson, who, um, yeah, uh, friend of the show, friend of the show, um, and another bloke who will remain anonymous, um, at his request. Uh, so we'll call okay. it, we'll call him Clark Kent. Um, okay. <laughs> um, um, I, I wouldn't want to speak for him about why he is remaining anonymous, but it has become apparent through talking to people anonymously that justifiably or not, correctly or not, quite a lot of people fear retribution if they speak out about this sort of thing. There is a fairly pervasive opinion that if you make too big a noise about how Apple's rules are problematic, maybe the next time your app needs to get reviewed, maybe it will take a long time or get pushed back. I do not know whether this is actually true or not, and it may well be. Did you see their response to Epic? Well, well, it may well be one of the same thing as how, you know, if you believe that walking under ladders makes you bad. It gives you bad luck, then you'll see evidence of it happening or not. But a hell of a lot of people believe this thing for it to be completely untrue. What response mm. to Epic, Jeremy? So their CEO first said, we don't want to come back to the App Store anyway. Realized that was probably not the best business decision and said, okay, as long as you follow the rules and let, let us include that link, we'll, we'll go back in. And Apple's response was, we will not uh, reinstate your developer account until all appeals have been exhausted, which would be, what, three years, five years? Year, measured in years, for sure. Yeah. So. That is, I mean, fine. Most, most people who are whining on Twitter and then their app takes an extra three days in review might be imagining a link. <laughs> Right, Tim Sweeney probably less so, but yeah. Anyway, so uh, the three of us um, had a conversation with them. I believed we were going down to London for this conversation. Then we found out now it was going to be over Zoom. We were like, oh, we've already booked the trains. Never mind. But (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, oops, went down to London anyway. Had a beer. Very nice. Um, 
And so we went in and spoke to them. And I have to say, it was a very interesting session. I was, um, so I put together a sort of a slide deck and so did Bruce. And both of us have shared those slide decks and people can look through them. There's a link on my website. Um, and we said, how much are we allowed to talk about this publicly? I don't really understand how this works. And they said, obviously, you know, the slide decks you built, they're yours. You're welcome to share them publicly. We would request that you don't go into too much detail about the questions that we ask you. Um, or uh, so exactly what was asked of you or who is there. And we, and that to me seemed like a perfectly reasonable requirement. Um, but my overriding experience of speaking to the speaking to the people at the regulator is that they knew what they were talking about and i was really quite surprised i was half expecting to get an audience of retired colonels who don't really understand how to make words bold setting technology legislation <laughs> for the whole uk right i mean they get it from john about how to make one specific thank word you bold. yeah um, <laughs> it's expensive expensive but, fees though yeah right. design consultancy, design consultancy services. services yeah um <laughs> but i was honestly expecting half of it to be that people go well we don't um, why is this a problem um but it wasn't like that at all. The questions they asked showed they, they understood the problem already and were talking about, okay, what are potential solutions for this? What are potential problems with these solutions? Um, what, how might we go about regulating this? Uh, they were engaged, knew what they were talking about. Um, it, it was genuinely refreshing to go and talk to technology people in government and find out they knew what they were talking about. Now, wow. I mean, here, um, so you've got the government digital service here, GDS, who are, legendarily pretty good at what they do and have turned around the UK's um, government online presence in the last 10 to 12 years and have modelled doing that for a whole bunch of other countries around the world, which is nice. Um, right. But I certainly wasn't expecting it at the regulator. Right, All the horror stories you hear about that we've just talked about, about technology regulation being, okay, we're going to make it so you have to use like USB 1.0 now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was expecting all of this, and it wasn't like that at all. It was really interesting. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's but, it's very, reassuring to hear that. We yeah. we like that. Yes, um, uh, and I I thought so as well. I have to say, and I got to talk to some people in government. It's always good. Is it? <laughs> Right. Um, the, the definition of the government is that they are the organization which is involved in your life, regardless of your opinion on the matter. Right. If you get the chance to find that some bits of it are actually competent, this is not a bad thing. Oh, I, I believe it's a good thing. Yeah. I'm just saying that as a general rule, engaging with people from the government is not at the top of my priority list. Um, see DMV for example. Um, <laughs> I, I I got a new driving license only um a week ago. New photo card. Nice. They, they they sent me a letter saying your driving license has run out, and I went really. And then it turned out it ran out last year, and they gave me a free year because of COVID. And then said, "Well, you have to get a new photo card now, fourteen quid." And then I thought, "Well, I've had it ten years, no problem." They just sent me another one in the post. Ta-da! Done. Took a- I have to say, and I, I, I know we talked about this on on Bad Voltage. Um, you know, when I renewed my British passport. I was very impressed, um, you know, with how easy it was to kind of like, yeah, I could submit my passport photos over the internet. Yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant. I didn't have to go to the UK embassy or whatever. So, uh, 
<laughs> anyway. Yes. Nice. Uh, well, uh, yeah, no, any- I, 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 I think um, the whole process was interesting and encouraging. It makes me feel like with South Korea doing what they're doing and Japan doing what they're doing, they're assuming they're populated by similarly competent people. Right. I wonder if we're seeing the seesaw tip a bit here. I do wonder if this keeps going on uh, and we keep seeing other small changes, whether Apple are going to continually just take a 16th of a step back every time, or whether at some point they're going to go, okay, here's the deal. We'll make a couple of big changes, and then you all have to shut up and leave us alone. And the big changes end up being... um you have to allow third-party payment platforms. You have to allow third-party browsers, and you have to allow sideloading or something. If, I don't know. If they were smart, because of the way that the judge in the Epic case clearly delineated games as separate entities, they would make two different rules: one for games, one for not. And I think they could get away from keeping in a payment as a requirement for games and still charge probably twenty percent, and then treat other apps differently, and, and everyone would Maybe, be happy. Yeah. And they, in the end, I think they would actually make more money. I I think so. I, I think what we're seeing is, and Jono, this is um, uh, something you said earlier that you don't think they're motivated entirely by sales, and I agree with you. But I think what Apple are motivated motivated by almost as much as sales is control. Given the yes. choice, they they'd sacrifice a sale rather than sacrifice control. And this is yeah. basically um, regulatory authorities all over the all over the world going. When you get as big as you are, you don't get to maintain full control over something, right? So you get to choose either be smaller or give up some control. And it will be interesting to see what Apple decide to do. Yeah, I mean, and frankly, you can say that about anyone who runs any kind of ecosystem, right? Is yeah. that I I agree with you. Like the number one thing they're going to care about is control. Yes, uh, especially anyone who's got a popular ecosystem. Like if you if if no one's using your thing, then you care deeply about sales. Um, <laughs> and you're probably willing to kind of bend the rules to get things rolling. But and yeah, if, for I someone think like Android's I mean, a good lesson on why you should want some control because if you make things uh, yes. too loose, then the ecosystem gets yes. a little bit goofy in in a different yeah. way. Uh, and you can never pull it back because uh, I it's mean, Google, very, you can try to pull Google Play services into everything, but even that oh, doesn't work. Yeah. It turns out. That's that's exactly it. Google have attempted to re-exert some measure of control and failed appallingly at it. So some kind of middle ground is okay, I think. Yeah, and it's tricky, isn't it? Because as we discovered when we went through trying to build the Ubuntu phone, you know, um, there's, I mean, Google and and Apple are just behemoths in the in the mobile app world, obviously, and. Many have tried to try and provide an alternative, a better alternative, and everybody has failed. Yep. Everybody has failed. So they're just they're they're immovable um, in terms of it. And 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 if it was one, if it was just Apple, then I think you'd always have like a second alternative spring up at some point. But when you've got two big companies who dominate the market. The ability for consumers to actually make an like a, 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 a viable change, it's very difficult. So Apple have got to, they've got to change, right? Yeah. Otherwise, it's just never going to work. I, I think the shining example here: a company as big as Microsoft 
really, really, really tried to get into mobile yeah. OSs. Yeah. They build OSs for as what they've done as a company, have all the contacts on earth and all the money to go with it, and still failed spectacularly. And they still failed. That's how difficult uh, yeah. it is. And have fa- and yeah. failed at two things. They failed at web browsers as well. Yep. And MP3 players. <laughs> uh, true. <laughs> I'd forgotten about the Zoom. Zoom. Blimey. <laughs> Zoom. Sounds like a terrible sci fi movie in which somebody wakes up on a deserted island and has to listen to music on a Zoom. My yeah. hope is there's one bad voltage listener who actually podcasts using a Zoom. Some yeah. kind of old school setup. If you're out there, you let us know. <laughs> yeah. I, we'll, we'll send you a shirt. Yeah, do yeah. it. Zoom, just yeah. one look, and then my heart went boom. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to, like, I'm not listening on a Zoom, but I, I, am, I am listening on an iRiver that's running Linux. <laughs> <laughs> wow, iRiver. Remember the iRiver? Wow. By the way, before, before we wrap up, I bought something very cool today, uh, two days ago, and I would encourage everybody to do this. Was it an 8 Is it a stupid mattress? Yeah. <laughs> it's an inter- internet-connected Labrador. Um, no, um, so I was thinking about when I got started in open source, and, you know... Uh, when my brother came and stayed with us for a couple of weeks, and he t- told me about Linux in 1998, I worked in a bookshop, and I bought a book called Slackware Unleashed. Um, and that's what got me into communities and open source and all the rest of it. And I thought, I wonder, I don't have a copy of it. So I went and bought a copy of Amazon. It was like $7. Um, and I would like to encourage both of you, if you haven't already got them, but the very first book that got you into all of this stuff, go and buy it. It's fascinating, like, looking through it and just kind of going down memory lane. So I'd encourage everybody to do this. Wow. Because people are selling, like, cheap old books. Like, and, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm, I might do a review. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 Slackware I, I, 97 I, review coming very soon to Bad Voltage. I can say, well, even, even for us, this is old, right? <laughs> yeah. And it, it's got the CD as well. Oh man, do you have anything that you can put it in? Um, I mean, the toaster, but <laughs> it, occurred, it occurred to me the other day that if someone gave me a DVD, I don't think I have a way of playing it. Yeah, uh, Jack has got a um, uh, he's got a CD player in his crappy Acer laptop that I <laughs> bought bought for a trip to China years ago. <laughs> that he plays Minecraft on. He's got a hand-me-down laptop. Yeah, you spent three thousand dollars on a bag of internet connected water and he's got a hand-me-down laptop (laughs) (laughs) priorities mr langridge priorities there's a there's a he's got he uses my old mac and then uh and then he uses the acer which was like a hundred dollars yeah (laughs) when i bought it you know because like i say it was a burner for going to china so um i think we're uh we should probably wrap up we're about out of time aren't we yes we are um so um, let us know what you think yes. about the about the eight sleep and about um, whether Apple are no. going to get regulated. No, no, no do don't let, let us know. know what you think about the eight sleep, okay? But do let us know what you think about Apple. <laughs> Two of us are extremely curious what you think of the eight sleep. Yes, mm. I mean, especially if any of you have, you know, if anyone out there listening to the show is the other person who's bought one of these, we'd be really interested <laughs> to hear what you think of it. Yeah. All right. I don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> I, I'm not going. I'm not going to observe this commentary. Bye. All right. Well. Cheers, all. Pleasure, gentlemen. Later, everyone. Later. Later.
um, and things like tossing and turning and things like that. But for the things like the, um, <clears throat> what the hell is that noise? They are doing construction <laughs> next door, which you could tell. <laughs> wow, Marius is going to have a whale of a time editing this show. Sorry, Marius. <laughs> that um, this sounds like Slayer of Reformed. Um, so, wow, that is really quite loud <laughs> where you are, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> That's like a convention of angry flies have decided to send, to send a buffalo. So, all right. So, uh, anyway, so what was I talking about before we were rudely interrupted by the, the locusts? locusts. Um, I can't remember. This is going, this is going well. 